Welcome to Season 1, Episode 20 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Lauren Teixeira. Lauren is a writer and journalist, and she's the co-host of the Our Struggle podcast. She joins us from her home in Washington. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's an honor. It <laughs> is, really. I can't believe I'm being asked to talk about what books I like. <laughs> it's an honor to have you. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about your time in China. You spent yeah. six years there. You lived in a range of cities. Your writing yeah. in this period is so interesting. How did you end up in China and what is your opinion of the place now that you're back in the US? Okay, so great question, tough question. Well, no, the first part is really easy. How I ended up there is that um, I, in 20, I guess, 14, 2013, it was my senior year of college. And at the time, my uh, alma mater, Grinnell College, had an exchange with Nanjing University. Of course, six years later, this no longer exists. There are no like bilateral programs anymore. but. Um, I kind of got in at the tail end of that. I applied to it. I got it. This was like a teaching fellowship to teach at Nanjing University affiliated high school. Um, I got it to my surprise. It was the only thing I applied for. I had no plans for after college other than that I wanted to graduate. Uh, <laughs> that I wanted to graduate. I did want to graduate, but um, other than that, I wanted to travel. And so I got that and I was off to China and I was teaching there with my co-teacher. Shout out to Meg for... Um, for a year and then I realized I wanted to this is where I wanted to become a writer right because I'd always wanted to write I was obviously like every young American in China inspired by Peter Hessler um and I thought this might be a good place to get in on writing because at least I have a competitive advantage of being in this country and having something to write about aside from just being a 22 year old in New York or something so um I worked at Competitive Advantage. I learned Chinese, um, which was one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. Um, becoming fluent in another language, I think, is something that's really cannot be overrated as an experience and also especially for a writer. Um, and I started writing and I moved. I was in Nanjing and then I was in Beijing and I really hated Beijing. And then I moved to Chengdu, which is the last place I was in China before I left in the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. And what was the second part of the question? So what is your opinion now that you're back in the US? Oh, it's, um. so this is what I'm trying to work through in my novel, which is that I guess, as they say, I have quote, I'm still quote processing, unquote. <laughs> um, and um, I think it's it's enormously complicated. I My dad hassles me about this all the time because he, would visit China every year while I was there, or my, both my parents would. Um, and um, he loves it there and he thinks it's fascinating. Um, and I do too, but I also really hate it. Um, I hate the party state. I hate what it's done to the people who live there. Um, I hate the contempt it has for the 1.4 billion people who live there. And I think the political situation is getting steadily worse and will only continue that way. Um, I don't follow the news from China anymore because it's horrifically depressing to me. It's also always the same story over and over again, especially now that all of the journalists have been kicked out. So it's everything. It's just like reporting. Or it's not even the journalists. It's they're getting their assistance to report by reaching out to someone on Weibo and being like, I heard this thing you said on Weibo got censored. And that's kind of what happens. 
Um, no, I mean, there are good journalists working on China, um, but it's just fucked up how all the American, big American papers are gone. FT is still around miraculously. Um, I always thought they were really good. Um, 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 yeah, so how I feel about it now is sometimes I don't even uh, want to talk about it, but maybe it's because I feel like my thoughts about China can't really be reduced in, re <laughs> can't be reduced into a blurb. They're hard to distill because they're so sprawling. And um, honestly, I just haven't, as they say, processed. processed. And um, maybe once I finish this novel, I'll be able to talk about it more easily because I will have at that point supposedly processed them. Um, and I think also when people ask me about China, it frustrates me because it reminds me of how I haven't finished my novel. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. talk about your novel in a minute because I'm keen yeah. to hear about it. But yeah. one of the things we were talking about just before we started recording was the yeah. fact that you were writing in China about mm -hmm. China in a way that was really funny, but also in a way that was quite critical of some of the things that were going on there. Um, you were telling me about your paranoia there. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, I mean, the paranoia. Well, first, I guess first let's talk about how, like my kind of my, my gig or my lack of gig. It was I was freelancing. I was on a tourist visa and writing about China or I was writing journalism about China, which is illegal. You have to be licensed, whether you're Chinese or a foreigner, you have to have a license to report journalism, which I did not, obviously. Um, and so my MO kind of became, I would, I would glom onto these cultural products or like weird figures and interrogate those and see like, what does this reveal about China in that way, kind of poke at my critique. Um, I wrote this profile of, a, of an Emmett, of a mixed martial arts fighter or an over the hill mixed martial arts fighter, 40 year old guy who um, had decided that uh, Tai Chi was bullshit. And this was his only, this was the only thing he wanted to do. He just wanted to challenge one Tai Chi master after another and beat the shit out of them to prove that MMA is better than Tai Chi. So he would go around the country challenging these guys. Um, he's just like a real, he's just like a tough, he's not even that good of a fighter. I mean, he could never have fought professionally, but, um, and then of course in doing so in this kind of silly quest, he got, um, he incurred the ire of the Chinese communist party because Tai Chi represents traditional, um, the glorious Chinese tradition or, um, quote, traditional Chinese culture, unquote. And so he eventually got um, a lot of privileges taken away. He wasn't allowed to take planes or high-speed trains. He got the shit suit out of him. Um, social credit score reduced. And, um, you know, monitored constantly. And uh, although he's still in Beijing. But uh, but anyway, I thought that was, it was a very funny story. And But it was also incredibly revealing. And so I guess that those are the kind of stories I tried to write, both because I could fly under the radar a little bit with them and because... I think that's something I, I enjoy, just finding funny characters. Let's move on to your novel that you're writing at the moment. It's set in China, and mm -hmm. I assume it's based on a lot of your experiences that you had there. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's totally ripped off of my experiences. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a noir story. It's the the nominal plot is that a uh, a depressed American freelance journalist in China is roped into investigating a the murder of a local hip-hop club entrepreneur and in the course of doing so uncovers a vast conspiracy so very typical noir setup um but i thought it would be a good framework for basically throwing it all in the pot um 
or basically bringing together all the stuff I wanted to write about. A lot of the characters are based off of people I interviewed or I knew back in China. And the themes are, of course, the themes that I, I want to explore. Sounds extremely exciting. I think that sounds like something I would pick up in a second. Oh, I hope so. Please do. I mean, first of all, this assumes it ever makes it to print. And it, right now it's like, I haven't worked on it for like a month because I am um, applying to grad school. Um, not at, not not MFA and urban planning because I, you know, I'm 29 and I have to actually make something of my life and I can't really rely on writing to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I hope I really, it excites me. It also frustrates me. Um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I hope you really have some good luck with writing that book. I, I need it. Thank you. <laughs> You'll get there. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our struggle. Um, yeah. Those people who've been living under a rock for the last year or so, can you give us <laughs> a bit of a brief idea of the podcast and how it got started? Mm. So you're implying that if someone hasn't heard our podcast, it means they're living under a rock? They they bloody well should be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, hope that's, I hope that's true, yeah. So, um, yeah, for you losers who have been living under a boulder. Um, the four and a half year old I, I babysit right now is obsessed with boulders. He does nothing but draw boulders. So <laughs> I was just imagining that. Um, um, okay, so this is a podcast I started with my friend Drew from college, um, who is, by the way, much more well-read and, and literate than I am. But um, we started it, I guess, last summer in the middle of the pandemic. I've been asked several times how I got inspired to start it. There's really no story. It's literally just I had the thought um, I should, it would be funny if me and Drew made a podcast about Kanausgard, who I had read earlier in the pandemic. And that's it. Like, and I just started it. Um, generally, when I have an idea gets into my head and it doesn't leave, I just do it. Like, it occurred to me a few months ago that I should move to New York and now I'm doing it. Like, uh, I mean, and that's how I moved to Chengdu and that's how I got to Chengdu. So, um, yeah. So we do this podcast. It's nominally about the Norwegian writer Carl Uwe Kanausgard. And the shtick or the gimmick is that we try to get through his entire My Struggle work, which is a six volume, 3,600 page um, autobiographical novel. And at a year in, we've only gotten through the first book. And part of the joke is that we digress um, often and extensively. And some episodes, we don't even talk about him at all. Um, we often have on guests I mean, more often than not, we have on guests who are tend to be authors, literary critics. Um, although our most recent guest was Drew's roommate, so you know, it's not like a it's not a highbrow podcast by any means. Um, it, I mean, it's re it's really not a highbrow podcast. <laughs> um, but I think that's why people maybe people gravitate to it is because um, is because it is so lowbrow and also not um, you know it's not stuffy, it's not reverent. That's the main thing. It's not reverent. We have no respect for anyone who comes on we don't even introduce them um as you just introduced me we kind of just get into it um i mean we do have respect we just don't make a make a big deal of showing it um and we riff and we um again digress a lot of digressions distractions motifs symbols not symbols but a lot of motifs um i guess it's kind of hard to describe isn't it <laughs> How would you describe is. it? <laughs> so I was talking to an author recently and he yeah. writes books 
like he wrote a book called The Air Affair. His name's Jasper Ford. And um, he was initially criticized for writing books about famous literary works that he was kind of mm-hmm. making fun of in a way. But he said he was being reverently irreverent. And I think mm. that's what you guys do. You're, you obviously, there is a, there is a passion for, um, for Knausgaard or Koch, mm-hmm. as you might call him. Um, yeah. And, but yeah. I like the fact that you just kind of take the piss as well all the time, which is, we, really... we really do take the piss. I mean, we, we, we take, we take that piss. We are prolific with taking that piss. Sometimes it gets <laughs> us in trouble, but, um, and the thing is we will never stop taking the piss. We will never stop. Um, not only because that's our competitive advantage, because it, but because it's kind of, if we have any principle, it's, it's that, which is that, I mean, the, the, the core dynamic of the show is me taking the piss out of my co-host Drew, Andrew <laughs> Oringer. And so it just kind of goes from there. Um, and yeah, I think our best episodes are when we're really, um, is when we're really taking the piss, as they say. Do we have an American equivalent of that? I'm trying to think. That's really a Commonwealth thing. Yeah, I um, don't know. I don't know if you do. Yeah, giving people shit. Um, yeah. I mean, I, again, it's not like it's not like we're trying to you know, and I'm not, I didn't go into it being like, I should antagonize someone, but <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just how it happens. Well, um, speaking of that, you have some fucking amazing guests. Like you've got Christian Lawrence and Benjamin Moser. My personal yeah. favorite though, was your episode with Joshua Cohen. Because you just, <laughs> A lot of, <laughs> you just took the piss out of him to such a degree that I didn't know whether he was enjoying it or he was yeah. like cracking the shits because it was yeah. really hard to tell. It to this day it's hard to tell for many people. <laughs> it was yeah. Um that was a yeah, so I think that's a lot of people's favorite episode. It's also one of mine, I think. I mean, it would be I think it would be hard for me to re-listen to, but um so yeah, Josh Cohen is an amazingly incredible talker. Um and I think the meeting of us two was just like just got into it. Um and so what happened um oh yeah so d- did he know was he pit no i don't think he was i think he enjoys this kind of stuff yeah just like i enjoy it mm-hmm. um you know it's like it's like uh i need someone against whom to test my against whom to test my blade you know <laughs> uh medieval metaphor but no i think we both enjoy verbal combat um and uh yeah i think it was it was great. It was a great episode. He he got a little tough. He he did apologize to me. Um, kind of briefly afterward, um, which was not really needed. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't know. A lot of people got were kind of like uh, indignant on my behalf after that, which I thought was really sweet. But like, um, you know, I can handle it, and that's why I do this. So. No, I think I think you you gave as good as you got in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was funny because when I read the book, and I read it way before I listened to the podcast episode, yeah, like the the recent book, the Netanyahu's, and yeah. that was I really loved the book. But I remember like hearing you say it because I thought it at the time about that scene where he's where they're changing the nappy of the seven year old boy yeah. on the table, and I thought that's fucking bullshit. No one's doing that. <laughs> Especially in oh, that's the right. 60s I called him out of being yeah. saying no one would change a seven-year-old's <laughs> diaper. Yeah, that, I forgot about that. Yeah. No, it's fun to just, you know, talk to a brilliant author and then nitpick about very small details. But um Yeah. But it's true, and that's my professional experience. And um, 
but Cohen is childless, so I guess he would not have known that. But um, I don't know. Yeah, no, it was it was fun. I I don't I was not particularly fond of the book. I guess as anyone who's listened to that podcast will know. Um, I guess I respect it. I admire it. I didn't, I didn't particularly like it. Yeah. Um, and I guess I made that clear, which kind of pissed him off. But you know, he he can take it. He can take it. You know, and that's why it was a fun episode. Like there are people whose books. I don't like who I think could not take it. And then yeah. in which case I wouldn't dish it out, in which case I wouldn't invite them on probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I think conflict is actually in short supply. I yeah. think the problem with conflict now is that conflict always implies outrage and you can't have conflict mm. without outrage nowadays. So I think that's one of the things I love about, especially those kind of the banter you have on that podcast is that you have conflict without outrage at least seemingly anyway. I don't know what goes on behind the scenes. No, but... I think you're right. I think you're right. It's, well, it's never personal. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's more everyone's in it. It sounds grandiose, but everyone's in it for the, for the love of the game, you mm. know, for literature. It's also a highly verbal podcast. So the conflict itself is kind of the part of the art at some point. Um, it becomes meta. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think conflict is good. I think too much of, People are just pussies and they're afraid to have actual conflict and instead they just tweet like losers. So I guess that's yeah. what I have to say about it. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be some people getting really upset, you know, just in general, just for no reason. <laughs> people, people love to get upset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I don't see what's the catharsis in that. Just tweet, just tweeting into the void, you know. That's what they, that's what people do. It's fun. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Is... Knauskart on your guest list would you get him on I think we could probably get him on at this point he knows about us um, yeah. he's been asked several times about us so our guest Tori Peters she actually got that New York magazine assignment to interview him through us I guess the editor had heard our interview with Tori and said do you want to interview Knausgard?" and so she actually asked me if I wanted to like company interview and I was like absolutely that's not a good idea but um <laughs> at the end of it she asks about she gives us a shout out which was really nice and then, um, and then Leo Robeson, who's another I guess we had on a while ago, he said he met Kanausgard at in London the other day and asked him if he'd heard of our show, and he said no, which is a lie because Tori had told him about it. So <laughs> I don't know. Like I don't think he'd be a very good guest. Like I try to have on guests who are good talkers. I definitely favor that rather than people. Like there are plenty of people who are out there who are brilliant but are not good talkers. They're better writers than talkers. Um, and I think Knausgaard falls into the latter category. Um, it would also kind of defeat the purpose of the show since the whole thing is like a negative enterprise, right? It's about the negative space where Knausgaard should be. Um, what was fun about our most recent episode is um, Drew's roommate Mason is, is in it, quote unquote, but you don't hear him most of the time. Um, and I think a lot of the humor comes from that. Um, and so I think the same comes from Knausgaard. And so I, I do wonder if it would be almost beside the point to to talk to him i also you know the dude has done so many fucking interviews i don't know what else you're gonna get out of him yeah yeah so no surly norwegians coming on the show anytime soon i want to have some scandos i don't know we know this fishmonger in norway who invited us to norway maybe we'll interview him i'd like to talk more about about that trade hmm. yeah i would love to go to norway um but yeah knauskard would probably not be on my list of things to do at the time but you know, yeah. Know. Is there are there any guests that you'd really love to get on? Um, David Keenan, <laughs> who I did not know about until I heard him on your show. Um, 
yeah again i just like people who who make a verbal impression on me um the thing the word i kept thinking about with keenan was defamiliarization which is something they often talk about with literature or successful literature can defamiliarize things for you but my man was just defamiliarizing the english language i mean that accent is like wild and i just love the way he talks i love him talking about ego death honestly i'd love to talk to anyone who's achieved total ego death because i'm so fucking tired of egos um and of brands um so who else um um we'd love to have um nicholson baker actually might come on the show drew messaged him on linkedin at like three in the morning and baker said email me and then drew never got around to it but if drew ever gets his shit together I, i guess we'll try to have him on the show um I don't know what kind of interview he would be, interviewee. We we're not, we tend to not be too successful with older interviewees because they don't they don't particularly cotton to our brand of irreverence and riffing. I don't know. Maybe riffing wasn't invented back then, um, in the boomer times. But no, I'm sure there are boomers who can riff. It's just I don't know where to find them. I would love to find them. Um, I guess my dad can riff. My dad and mom. Shout out to mom and dad. Um, and. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, Baker, um, Eugenides. That would be fun to have him on. Um, I really, I like to have on the writer Rebecca Curtis. I really liked her short story in The New Yorker a while ago. And I just think she would probably have funny things to say about Knausgaard. Yeah. Um, if she has any anything to say. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to just have more random people, actually. I think that's good to um, stay out of the, because you can get into this rut, like, Right now, because we're kind of, we have this scene, or we have the scene. There are people we know who are in the same scene in New York, and it's easy to interview all of them. Mm. Um, and they'll all sound probably kind of similar to each other. And so that's why um, I think it's cool to, you know, you got to keep up the, de- the defamiliarization, keep up the churn of the, of the concrete mixture so things don't congeal or harden, um, which is why we need to get this insane Scottish man to go on the podcast. I'm sure David would be pleased to do it. He, um, yeah, as I was telling you before, I just love speaking to him. He And his writing's so good and his books are just exciting and different. Yeah, that's the problem is I've never read anything he's uh, written, and but I guess I should. I just have a hard time with long, with long books. Um, the good thing about him is he's got quite a few short books. And he's oh, got, does he? Um, okay, yeah. yeah. But his... He's re-releasing the one he was talking about where uh, he forgot that he wrote it called Extabeth. That's, that's so awesome that he forgot he wrote it. <laughs> yeah. So and cool. And so I think that's, it's he's re-releasing it with another book that he wrote as well. And I think it's under 300 pages. So, yeah. Isn't definitely. he also a big, like, post-punk guy? Like a, well, that was his... or he's Scottish, right? Yeah, but his, his first but book he was a music called... journalist. Yeah, yeah, he was a music journalist for years, a very famous See, we lo- We journalist. love that stuff, yeah. Yeah. We love that stuff. But his, his first book that I'm reading now is called um, This is Memorial Device. And he's talking about the post-punk scene in Air so Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to read that. Yeah. That's good. I just, that's um, our shit. That's a, yeah. big, that's a big motif in our struggle. I mean, our struggle is arguably as much about me and Drew's ongoing discussion about music as it is about mm-hmm. literature. And, we ha- and it's great because we can just do it and no one can stop us because they don't pay for it. And... You know, digression is the is the pleasure. So, yeah, yeah, I would love I would love to talk to him about the post punk scene in Scotland. In Scotland. All right, let's move on to your gateway books. So, were oh, right was gateway there, books? Yeah. So, was there a book that opened up the world of literature for you? Um. So I've been thinking about that question, and 
you know, it's like at what age, right? Because I guess children, we count children's quote literature as, as literature. I don't know. Um, I did pick up this book at the recommendation of a friend of the show, Dean Kissick. I picked up this book called Tintin and the Secret of Literature. And the argument in it is that, you know, Tintin, right? Yeah. Okay. So Tintin is a children's adventure comic from that was drawn by Belgian artist Hergé from the 30s to the 70s. Um, I read every single one of them, except for the one that I think that got banned for being too racist. But um, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't tell you like, so yeah, so much of my childhood was like, it was like Tintin, um, Donald Duck. My dad was a big Donald Duck collector, but only of the Carl Barks Donald Ducks from the 50s. Um, and I would just take a big stack of Donald Ducks out onto the porch and just go through them. And I read the same ones over and over again. And same with the Tintins and same with um, this other graphic novel I recommend to everyone called Yusagi Yojimbo, which is about a samurai, anthropomorphic samurai rabbit in feudal Japan. Wow. And those are all, what those all have in common is that they're adventure stories. Um, and I think, you know, what children, what children, what child does not love adventure. Um, but then I was talking about to Dean Kissick about Tintin a while ago, and he said there's this whole book called Tintin and the Secret of Literature by Tom McCarthy. That's about how Tintin kind of taps into a lot of um, veins or, or it, it conforms to a lot of elements that literary theorists have identified as being um, like successful aspects of literature. It's mostly bullshit. I don't really understand a lot of what he's saying, but um it's kind of written in this dizzying fashion that is hard to keep up with, but also kind of exciting, um, this book. And um, yeah, because there's always, Tintin is full of, of um, obfuscation. It's full of doubling. Um, it's full of uh, puzzles and mysteries. And I think all good literature ought to have that, as I guess he argues in here. I mean, he says it in a fancier way. Um, this is the Tom McCarthy who wrote um, things like C and, you know, he's a pretty, you know, he's quite a famous He wrote novelist. Remainder. Yeah, Remainder and C and... Yeah, see, I've never read anything well. he's written, but... Yeah, he recently wrote the new forward for the Recognitions by William Gaddis, so he's pretty... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's a real he's a real guy. Hmm. Um, he also really likes Tintin, as we now know. He's <laughs> um, just, a, he has some great turns of phrase here. Like many of the best writers, Shakespeare and Chaucer spring to mind in this respect. Hergé has bequeathed a bestiary of human types. Taken together, they form a huge social tableau. What Balzac, describing the network of characters spread across his book, calls a comedy humaine, made up of emirs, barons, butchers, whose telephone numbers keep getting confused with one's own, and ghastly petit bourgeois louches who are too socially insensitive to realize when neither they nor the insurance they peddle are wanted. Um... I don't know. Yeah, I love it. I love a cast of characters. I love a vast cast of characters. Um, I, yeah, definitely. I think literature could use more, you know, Dickensian menageries of, of people. I hope, I think my book that I'm writing has, I hope it has that. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So I guess those are the children's literature that were really important to me. Um, and I think anything that can capture your imagination is important and magical. And I certainly am now realizing that again, now that I'm a professional child care, it's really miraculous to see kids like be enchanted by books. Um, it's really cool. And um, 
they can suspend disbelief so easily. I mean, you can just get lost in a book when you're a kid. It's awesome. Um, a lot of new like children's stuff I see fucking sucks. It's all like totally foreclosed. Um, there's no adventure in it whatsoever. It's just like so and so starts third grade. You know, it's, a, it's like no, give me a fucking uh, an oil shake and in a secret in a secret plot and Rastapopolis and um, you know hiding in the in the in the in the ship somewhere some shit like that. My daughters into reading quite a lot at the moment but i find that a lot of the children's literature now is peddling really social um socially current ideas right very heavily didactic yeah yeah, obsessed with representation yeah that's right which i just don't understand because i just want people to get out of the way and tell a story just fuck off no we don't you don't need especially in children's literature you don't need representation okay it is not representation there to be an evil you know, a secret Slavic king hiding out in Belgium or General Alcazar who's actually at the opera hall doing night. Like, what? No one cares. Like, that's the fun stuff. At this point, distrust of the exotic, right? Because of the of colonialism. But um, there's also a great adventure to be to be found in that. And um, I don't know, like, I just fucking loved it. And maybe that's why I ended up traveling so extensively as an adult is, is because Tintin showed me that it was cool. Mm-hmm. And cool adventures would probably happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I totally, I'm totally down with that. I think literature should, this is what Josh Cohen criticized me for is, is escapism, right? Enjoying literature for escapism, for escape, escapism's sake. But I think, you know, especially with children, I don't think that's narcotic. I think that's, you know, it's activating something in, in yeah. your brain. It's the opposite of narcotic. I think what's narcotic are these fucking, you know, so-and-so assembles a diverse group of friends in third grade. It's like, no, dude. Take me, take me a cigar to the pharaoh any day. Take me <laughs> yeah. to, you know, human sacrifices and and Aztec. For some reason, they stumble upon you know some Aztec tribe that just never stopped human sacrifices. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm of course referencing Tintin Prisoners of the Sun. Yeah. Um. So yeah, children's literature. I think that always captivated me. And then, but of like actual grown-up literature. I actually did. So I moved back in with my parents for a few months because um, to save money. And I found some of my old books and I was remembering books that I liked when I was a teenager. And um, I've always been a big Graham Greene girl. Um, I remember reading when I was a teenager, The Quiet American and End of the Affair. I just found my copy of End of the Affair. It's right here. This is not interesting to the listener um, because you can't see it. But um. And I think uh, The Quiet American is a perfect book. I think Graham Greene is also appropriately dark for a teenager, but not too dark. Um, something he gets criticized for, I recently read this in Martin Amos's essay, or profile of Greene, is <laughs> basically Amos calls him YA, um, or I, that's, that's short for young adult. Yeah. Um, I wish I could find the quote. But basically he says that Greene's, there's a, there's a manageable level of cynicism in green um he's a serious writer but he also writes the same story over and over again um and it kind of it's a kind of cynicism that that flatters the reader oh no i can't find it it was in it was in amos's collection okay called um visiting mrs nabokov i oh, returned it to the library shelf. recently okay do you yeah. want to go get it oh you have it yeah i can go grab it if you want oh yeah i would love to i would love to find that quote because One i sec. i'm just gonna grab it yeah, I I need someone to talk to about how green is YA. Green, 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 green. Green, green. Oh, look, it's the first one. 
Yeah, it's awesome. He profiles him and yeah. like very it's a very well done profile and then the last paragraph he's like, Yeah, his, his novels are not that good. So do Amos wanna... does this in several he does this in several profiles. He'll he'll do a very um competent profile and then yeah. last few paragraphs share his own opinion, which is not necessarily <laughs> that nice. But that's awesome. I mean that's that's how a celebrity profile should be. Yeah. Let's see. I'm gonna find the bit where he calls him YA. Here it is. For my generation, Graham Greene was inevitably the first serious writer he came across. He seemed exemplarily adult and exemplarily modern. Now he seems neither. Now he seems adolescent. Calls him YA. Wow. Um, and I think, but I mean, reflecting on that, I do, I still adore Greene. I, I put Quiet American in my top 10 because I think yeah. it's a perfect book. Yeah. Um, but I think there is something adolescent about it. I think the, it's very, it's highly romantic. It's always the same, um, the same middle-aged guy in a, in a foreign place who's yeah. full of longing, which I love. I mean, again, like I would love to have Green's career of just traveling all over and, and then mm. writing thinly fictionalized versions of your experience there. Um, or not even thinly fictionalized, but um, 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 yes, I think that the highly romantic strain, but also the fact that um, protagonist is ultimately the owns that story, owns his own story. He always has a quip. You know, it's almost it's almost noirish. He has he always has a quip. He always has a cynical remark for everything. Um and kind of metabolizes it by the end for his own I don't know, he discovers Catholicism usually. Um and I don't know. I mean it was just interesting to think to think about. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're talking with Lauren Teixeira. This week's episode is brought to you by the new children's book, Where's Peng Shui? Available now at all good book retailers. We're back on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Lauren Teixeira. Let's move on to the books you're currently reading or have recently enjoyed or are looking forward to. Um, okay, so I actually brought some of these books down. Um, I'm reading... My first Thomas Hardy, I'm reading The Mayor of Casterbridge. Um, I never read any Hardy. I'm reading The Recommendation of My Mom. It's awesome. It's so sick. Um, It's a, for the listener, I guess, it's just about this guy who gets drunk in a tavern at a fair and sells his wife. But it's like, it starts as a bit. He's like, ah, I pay my fucking wife. I'm going to sell her. Anybody want to buy her? But then it escalates. Um. And he can't really turn back because someone has taken him up on it. And his wife says, you know what? If you're going to do this, how about how about you sell me? It's going to be better than being married to fucking you, alcoholic loser. So um, that's that's like the first scene. And um, I just think it's awesome because it takes up something I always really like in literature, which is which is escalation, um, especially when it happens really fast and also a conceit. Um, I, I really like both of those things. Um, Again, conceit novels were something we were talking about with Josh Cohen. Um, and I, it's so fun. There's so many good terms of phrase so far that I've like underlined. He's very funny. I really, I really gravitate to authors. And Green is like this too, who can just have a funny, droll turn of phrase. I mean, I think the British are so good at this. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I think almost all of the books I, I chose for my top 10 are, are English. Oh, this is just a sentence I really like. In presence of this scene after the other, there was a natural instinct to abjure 
man as the blot on an otherwise kindly universe till it was remembered that all terrestrial conditions were intermittent and that mankind might some might some night be innocently sleeping when these quiet objects were raging there's a point where he calls uh the 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 like wheat is fucked up it's like grown or fermented or something and he call it he refers to the resulting bread as unprincipled bread <laughs> very funny to me i don't know i just i just love authors who can do that i love how heavily plot how heavily plotted it is, just twists of fate keep thrown in one after the other. There's not too much introspection. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like novels, like, I don't like really navel gazing type stuff. But so I'm reading that. Um, I'm reading, um, oh, I started Pale Fire by Nabokov, oh, wow. which I'd never read before. Yeah. Fucking, um, I always get kind of angry when I read him because it, you can tell it's so easy for him. Like, it's just, mm. it's so brilliant. Um, and I feel like it just is effortless for him, which it probably wasn't. But um, I always feel like resentment. And of course, Pale Fire is is very very funny. Um, it's um, it's just so good. Um, what else am I reading? I want to. Oh, I Nicholson Baker. Shout out to Nicholson Baker, future guest. I read Vox recently. Um, again, a great conceit novel uh, for the listener. Vox is. A, the entire book is a phone call between a man and a woman. That's it. It's a sexy um, phone call, isn't it? It's a sexy, it, yeah, it's on a party line, which is something mm. that's very antiquated. Um, but it's a great conceit for a novel. It's very funny. Um, it's also, you have this built-in Talos, right? <laughs> uh, if it's a sex call, which is very good. Um, again, something Tom McCarthy talks about in this Tintin book is how every great story is a contract. And what could be more of a contract than two people, you know, building to finishing on a phone call. <laughs> um, and I think that's brilliant. It's, it's short. I would love to write something like that. I love dialogue. Um, I also, um, weirdly, I never read it before. I um, am almost done with Red Harvest by Dashiell Hammett, which is like um, the ultimate noir novel, but also kind of a prototype for like Westerns. Um, I believe it's mm. the inspiration for the samurai movie Yojimbo and um, something I really like in there is and something you can really get away with in noir is just dashing off a, a bunch of characters and describing them in like a few sentences that are that are evocative and then another thing is that you can talk to a character an entire chapter will be another character's story which is something I really want to be able to do because again like I was I can't remember if I said this before we started recording but in writing this novel which is written from a first person perspective that's a noir novel. I'm getting really fucking sick of my own voice and um, feeling very oppressed by it. And so that's why I was reading Red Harvest. Um, I also, what is it? Oh, my dad. So my dad is like a huge, huge uh, Anthony Powell fan, specifically of Dance and the Music of Time. It's his favorite book of all time, um, the entire series. Uh, Anthony Powell famously called um, a horse, the horse-faced dwarf, the HFD by Kingsley Amos and um, I think Philip Larkin in letters. Really brutal, really brutal appellation. But um, anyway, so I finally, but like, so I was cleaning out my room because I moved back home. And so I've been finding all these books and then I've been wanting to read dance for a long time, but I couldn't find the first volume. And then I finally found it. So all of this is to say, maybe I will start reading. I have to ask, obviously, have you read the new Knauskard Morningstar? I read the first few chapters of it. 
Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's just like it feels good. It feels like sliding into a warm bath. You know, it's like mm. here I am again with this frustrated middle aged guy, Scandinavian guy who smokes cigarettes and, you know, wants to be a good father, but also, you know, is mad that women wear jumpsuits and, mm. you know, it's just aggrieved by little things. No, it was it was good. Um, I actually he weirdly, I think he does show some mastery of of plot um, because it's basically a series of short stories. And so. Mm um a sh another shoe does drop right unlike unlike um in my struggle <laughs> i don't know i enjoy it i just love him so i yeah i haven't finished it though um, because i got distracted by other things have you read it i don't know i've started it as well like you i think i've read the first yeah. two two parts of it but um yeah i've did you have the thought like in the first chapter you were like hell yeah we're back like there's our guy <laughs> yeah i thought that and i also thought the funny thing was reading, especially that first part with the crabs crossing the road, I thought yes. this is going to be a Netflix series. That was my first thought. Reading oh, really? That. Yeah. Cause I just oh God, think that would make me so depressed. <laughs> yeah. I just think the way it's, the way he split it up into different stories and the fact I mean, it would lend it's itself to, to that, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's also going to go on forever from what I hear. It's going to go on for like four yeah. volumes and yeah, yeah, we'll see, see what happens. That's funny. That reminds me of those crabs. It reminds me of this uh, the graphic novel I was mentioning earlier. There was a great saga where this samurai bunny, he uh, encounters this conspiracy to reinstate the king right over the shogun. And um, but to do that, they've hired this witch to retrieve this ancient sword from the sea. And to do so, she possesses all the little crabs in the sea who scout out the sword and together bring the sword up from the sea. Wow. Um Crabs really freak me out. I was also watching, um, I was babysitting this kid and we were watching a documentary about the Amelia Earhart disappearance. Yeah. And on the island where they think she may have died, mm. um, there are these creepy ass looking creatures called coconut crabs. I really hate them. But they're crabs, they're a good thing to write about because they're okay. so weird. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero and we'll come back with Lauren's top 10. This episode is brought to you by Winnie the Pooh and the 100 Acre Re-Education Camp, starring Xi Jinping, in cinemas now. Welcome back to Beyond the Zero, it's time to hear Lauren's Top 10. The Quiet American and Mating are the first two books on these lists, and they're the two books that are, I think, important to me specifically, uh, or at least to the novel I'm writing right now, because they're both big inspirations for it. The Quiet American being about a depressed foreigner uh, in a foreign country who, and kind of this plot that is kind of an allegory for larger geopolitical struggles and speaks to a geopolitical reality in a way that probably couldn't be captured in mere nonfiction. And then Mating by Norman Rush is of course about, it's about an anonymous female narrator, alienated anonymous female narrator, although it's written by a man, which is incredible, um, who goes on an adventure or um, by herself into the African bush. And um, this cool weird plot ensues. There's a weird conspiracy, but uh, I love the narrator in that. It's a huge inspiration to me. Um, she's extremely funny but also kind of alienated. And um, 
I just, it seems so free, that book. It seems so liberated from all kinds of conventions about novels, about relationships. Um, and it means a lot to me. And um, then Pride and Prejudice, because I think it's a perfect book. North and South. I mean, I love my 19th century girls. North, North and South by Mrs. Gaskell. Also perfect. Also kind of a great social treatise. Jane Eyre, maybe my all-time fave. I've taught this book before, actually, to a teenage girl. Um, of course, I think it's just fucking brilliant. It's not a perfect novel, maybe, but it's uh, it's so good. And Lucky Jim, hilarious. I love. I would love to write a comic novel. I would love, love, love to write a comic novel. Um, the Carla trilogy, which is Tinker Tailor's Smiley's People and The Honorable Schoolboy. Um, standout moments. I love, love, love the beginning scene in The Honorable Schoolboy about the Hong Kong Foreign Correspondence Club. Um, and also the scene with, with Roddy Martindale and Tinker Taylor. I guess those are both introductory scenes, but they're both a great uh, introduction into a kind of insider's club. And that was what Lecrae was so good at. Um, From Heaven Lake by Vikram Seth. I know it's weird to choose that one because he wrote A Suitable Boy, which is clearly like a mammoth of literature. But um, I, to be honest, skipped through a lot of the political sections of A Suitable Boy. So more honest to choose this one. And this is an adventure. It's about Vikram Seth in the 80s in China, in the early 80s. And um, he's trying to travel back to India. He's trying to travel back to Delhi. And it's literally about him hitchhiking back to India. And it's such an adventure. Um, and it also makes me feel resentful and jealous that I could not have been around at that time when China was more free and things were less precluded. Knausgaard, if you want to know why I like this book, you can listen to my podcast. <laughs> um, and then I threw a Tintin in there, specifically Tintin and the Prisoners of the Sun, which is a great adventure. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. What a good list. Well, I'm sure you say that about all of your guests, but thank you. I haven't said, I haven't, truth is, you're right. I haven't told anyone they've got a really shit list and they should, <laughs> but you never know. Let's, let's leave yeah. that for another day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, right. I mean, I don't know. These are just the books I like that mean something to me. Um, I, I believe there to be other good books out in the world. All right. Well, before we wrap this up, do you want to tell us where people can, if they have been living under that rock we were talking about before, where they mm -hmm. can listen to your podcast and where they can find you online. Oh, so the podcast is called Our Struggle. You can find it anywhere they have podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Our Struggle Pod. Um, I'm also personally, as myself on Twitter, my name is Lauren Teixeira. My Twitter handle is at Lauren Tex. If you really have nothing better to do with your time and you want to read some of my old articles or look at an excerpt from my novel. Uh, my website is laurentashara.com. That's cool. it. Amazing. <laughs> Your articles are so good and I'm really looking forward to the novel. And oh, I, too. thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think everyone who hasn't subscribed and listened to your podcast need to do themselves a favor and do that because it is so funny and um, it's just a, a great, book podcast and I, I probably would say it is my favorite book podcast out there oh thank you so much fun <laughs> apart from this one obviously because apart from your own of course yeah yeah, yeah. Well, two very different animals our exactly podcast your podcast yeah yeah but it is um great. yeah I really don't want to I actually worry that I'm 
being dishonest because we really we don't talk about books that much in our podcast if you go to our podcast and want us to be talking about books 100 percent of the time you'll be disappointed but um we do sometimes and if that's what you're looking for then great for anyone who likes long digressions about Mm -hmm. random things go for it it's great that's that's what you're gonna get yeah all right well lauren thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me again i'm i'm really honored and um thank you for having me it was fun to think about this stuff Thanks once again to Lauren Teixeira. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back for your next episode next week.